Well, praise God. Last Sunday, I had the privilege of hanging with um, our campus in Alma. And I got to tell you, that's where all the cool kids are. I'm not joking you. We got a great gang of guys and girls in Alma. And it was such a pleasure to worship with them last week. And then um, throughout the week, I popped down for VBS, Vacation Bible School, with all these kids. And I got to tell you, I I just want to tip my cap to the amount of servants from Alma. And then there was even a gang of people from Mount Pleasant who were like, it doesn't matter what campus we go to. We're all in on the gospel for children. Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's get to work. And it was so hot outside, man. That first day of registration, we were sweating. And it was well worth it all to see all those kids exposed to the love of Jesus Christ. And so I just want to say, way to go, Alma. Praise God for all the ministry that's taking place in Gratia County and all that God is doing with you. Uh, If you are here online, a huge welcome to you. For everyone in Mount Pleasant, it's wonderful to be together, to be worshiping, and to be in God's presence. If you're here for the very first time, uh, we're just going to insert you right into the middle of what we've been looking at throughout this summer, and that is the life of a pretty extraordinary fellow by the name of Moses, as we've been studying 99% of the time in the book of Exodus. And even if you're here for the first time, you're going to be right smack bang in the middle of this story, but I just trust that God is going to speak to you today and bless you today in a huge way. So we have seen Moses as this child, an extraordinary life, and even the beginning of his life was pretty incredible, escaping genocide, floating in a basket down a river, only to find himself um, adopted by this royal house of Pharaoh, growing up wealthy, affluent, at the age of about probably somewhere around 40, he has this heated, angry moment where he sees an Egyptian abusing this Hebrew slave. He just sort of dives in, actually murders this Egyptian man, uh, buries him in the desert, and then he gets out of Dodge. And the next 40 years of his life, he's living a sort of shepherd, nomadic life, looking after animals, until he has an extraordinary encounter with God speaking through fire in a bush, telling him, I want you to go back to Egypt. I have heard the cries of my people. I have seen their misery, and I'm going to use you, this speechless, stuttering, weak man who's been living as a nomad, escaping his past. I'm going to bring you back to that very place to have this sort of battle of the titans with Pharaoh, probably the most powerful man on the planet, to say, let my people go. And we see just this this heads knocking together and sparks flying, and God shows up powerfully with plague after plague, displaying his immense strength and his glory, all of that to crescendo into the Passover, where we had this incredible sort of pre-mirroring of the Last Supper and what Jesus would do in his ministry on the cross, the perfect sacrifice lamb. Incredible story, only for them to finally escape the grip of Pharaoh, to walk on dry land through the sea. Yes, to walk on dry land through the sea and to finally enter into the wilderness, where last week we saw them, and it didn't take very long at all, but they are whining and complaining, and we should go back, and God is going to leave us out here to die, and there's nothing to drink, and there's nothing to eat. And instead of God responding with like how I'd probably respond, like, get it together and be ticked off, he's just so incredibly patient and gracious with them, and he provides all of their needs supernaturally. Do we find ourselves at this point here today, where as they continue into the wilderness, because there's such a massive, large band of men and women, a nation, that they are beginning to get the attention of other peoples in the wilderness. 
And so we bump into this group called the Amalekites. And let's check out chapter 17 of Exodus. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. Whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on the scroll as something to to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. So Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Another extraordinary story in the life of this man, Moses. But what's really going on here? It's a kind of a weird thing. We have a battle, kind of the first kind of military piece that we see in the life of Moses. And oddly, when his hands are up, they're winning. When his hands fall down, they're losing. What a strange thing. What is that? What what is actually going on here? Well, the word for this would actually be prayer. In fact, probably a better word, if I could use this word, it would be the word intercession. Maybe that's common to you. Maybe you're hearing that for the first time today. To intercede is not just to pray, but as much as we see a physical battle taking place, it is a spiritual battle of prayer. Have you ever prayed a prayer? I did this one last night at dinner. I literally said, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Probably not my most powerful prayer I've ever prayed. (laughs) And there are times where we pray prayers like that, right? And they're probably a little thoughtless. I remember one time spinning out of control on black ice, and this prayer jumped out of my mouth, help God. I think that's all I got out. That one was particularly sincere. (laughs) But then there are times, maybe some of you have experienced this, maybe not, I don't know, where you have been so burdened about something going on in your life or in the life of someone that you actually care about, that you pray and you pray and you pray and you labor in prayer to such a degree that you will not let it go. It is as though you have a sword in your hand and you are battling and you are pleading with God, I need you to intervene. That is what it is to intercede. To place yourself in between God Almighty And whatever it is that is going on in your life or some situation or work or someone that you care about, and you say, I'm going to put myself inter, in the middle of God and this, and I'm going to plead with God, and I'm going to fight until I see God show up with his power. That's actually what's happening. It's a whole lot more than hands up and hands down. Today, I want you to have perhaps a whole new outlook on prayer. And I want to give you actually in a very, very practical way A means by which you can engage in prayer where you will experience God, but not only experience God, but experience God in the battles of your life when actually it really matters most. So Israel are being attacked by the Amalekites. 
And please remove this fairy tale sense of, oh, these people came against this people. No, we're talking about bloodshed and swords and military action here. It's actually the first time we bump into this name, Joshua. His original name means Hosea. Hosea means saves. And his name morphs from Hosea to Joshua, which means God saves. In this passage is our first mentioning of Joshua, where he is now about to become Moses' understudy, and eventually we're going to see he will become Moses' successor. Now, it is actually a very significant thing that Joshua leads them into battle. We've been looking at Moses for a few weeks over the course of the summer. And so I would say to you, the fact that Moses didn't go down to the battle. Now, Moses is not a spring chicken. He's at least 80 plus years of age here. But the fact that he didn't go down into the battlefield, for me, is an indication of his development and his maturity as a leader. He went up to this hillside, the scripture tells us. He did not go down into the valley. He did not go down into the battlefield. Because if you understand Moses by now, you'll know that from a human standpoint... Moses is sort of wired to just kind of run into things. And we mentioned this briefly. Maybe the perfect example is when he sees this sort of heated flash moment of when he sees this uh, Egyptian abusing a Hebrew man. He jumps in and murders the man. And that's kind of Moses. But if we've learned anything from Moses, and if Moses has learned anything from God over the last few weeks, particularly when it came to this battle of the titans between Moses, the stuttering, speechless man, and Pharaoh, the mightiest man in the world... It's that I think Moses has come to realize that his human skill and ability and capacities, his own resources, really don't amount to much at all. And if anything is going to happen, it's going to happen by the hand and the power of God. Now as an older man, Moses, he just gets this. I think I'm still getting that in my life. But I think Moses is there. And he actually says, I don't need to be on the battlefield at all. I'm going to position myself into a place where I might be instrumental in seeing the power of God released. Because that's what actually matters most. What Moses is saying here, and what I want you to hear is this. The power of God is released through prayer. Now maybe you're rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub type prayer. You feel like, I don't know if the power of God is released through my prayers. But that's where I want to challenge you today. I believe they are. I believe they will. I believe today you will pray prayers that will be powerful. So he's on a hill praying. And then we see this amazing things happen. His hands are up, they're winning. His hands are down, they're losing. You ever tried to keep your hands up all day? Oddly enough, prayer is hard work. It actually is. And what I want for you today is the same realization that Moses had. That the prevailing power of God was working and flowing fluently through his prayers. A murderer, a stutterer, a weak man in so many ways. God allows Moses, through prayer, to be an intercessor in between God and this scenario. A channel of divine power in human affairs. That your voice directed towards the Father, please hear this, that your voice directed towards the Father actually has an impact on human affairs. And Moses' hands lifted up was this tangible expression that God was showing his power and bringing deliverance to his people. Moses was not strong enough to continue in prayer with his hands up. And so we see a great picture where two friends come alongside him 
and they actually prop up his hands. He can't stand anymore. He's sitting down, it says, on a piece of stone. And they're holding up his hands for him. This is what it says in verse 12. So his hands were firmness itself until the sun set. And Israel won the battle. Now, from an outward appearance, you would say, look at Joshua go. From an outward appearance, you'd say, Joshua is like, what a great general. What a military genius. He's the visible guy on the field directing the troops. And yes, his role was important and he was needed. But maybe everyone looked at Joshua and thought, ah, it was his military prowess and genius. But Joshua knew that the whole army was utterly dependent on the power of God. That power that was being channeled through three people over to the side, standing on a hill. You see, the the battle wasn't won in the valley. It wasn't won on the battlefield. The battle was won on a little nook on the side of the hill. The battle was won by some feeble hands that were exhausted, that were raised high in prayer. That when those hands got too tired, it was won by other hands that came alongside and helped in prayer. The key here is that prayer was not preparation for the battle. It wasn't an aid to the battle. Prayer was the battle. The prevailing power of God flows through those who pray. I don't know how to say that in a more simple way because we are, we are not wired in life to see that success will come through prayer. You and I have grown up in a culture where you are told if you want to be successful, then roll up your sleeves and make it happen. If you want to succeed and if something's actually going to go well for you, you actually need to be self-sufficient and self-reliant. So can I ask you this question? Which are you? Are you the type of Moses, the younger Moses, sleeves rolled up, ready to save the day, self-sufficient, I got it, I know what to do? Or are you the Moses, maybe a little bit older, who doesn't need the spotlight and recognizes that if actually anything of any significance is going to happen, it's going to be because of his power and not because of your power. I think I'm still learning that lesson. Listen to these words, Rick Warren. There'll always be more people willing to do great things for God than there are people willing to do little things. The race to be a leader is crowded But the field is wide open for those who just want to be servants. What about this place? What about community church? Last year, we turned 40. We're 40 and a little bit. Over the hill, right? Over the hill and gaining momentum. 40 plus years of reaching into these communities with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what I want to tell you. What you may not know is that behind the scenes unseen, unsung, there has been a force of prayer to be reckoned with. What about your life? Think about your life right now. How many of you here today know that you are, I'm actually going to ask for a hands on this one. How many of you here today know that you are alive and well and that you are found in Christ Jesus because somebody was praying for you? Somebody was battling for your life and they wouldn't let it go. That is a ton of hands, church. Last May, we saw 25 people get baptized in our church. Praise God. What if it had nothing to do with the baptism class? What if it had nothing to do with the curriculum that we taught? 
What if it had to do with the transformation that takes place in a life because somebody was down on their knees interceding and battling on behalf of that life and that's how that transformation took place? Church, I want you to see what real leadership looks like. For churches all across this country, if you want to get resumes and see resumes for kind of pastoral positions, here's what they're looking for. They're looking for some upfront person who looks really good and is really charismatic and really dynamic and, and kind of get up there, that that would be the face of a church. They're looking for churches that would have sort of programs embedded in them that are like, man, that's an amazing program. You're looking at churches that are saying, man, if we could get a whole lot of people in a church, then that would reflect and we would say, that's an amazing church. Can I tell you, there's a whole different, different definition to great leadership in the kingdom of God. And I want you to see it. It's a face that most of you simply do not know. And it doesn't look like what you and I really, ought, what we typically think power and influence and leadership looks like. But let me show it to you right now. Let's take a look at the screens. My name is Sue Lapham. And I've been with the Intercessory Prayer Group for about 32 years now. And it's been a joy just to be a part of the group that believes in prayer. I joined Sue about 20 years ago when I retired from working. And um, I too uh, enjoy the fact that hopefully someone's being blessed when they're remembered in prayer, whether they know it or not. You know, we, we just want them to know that, that we care enough and that we believe that prayer is a powerful tool. I think sometimes people feel that prayer is a last resort, but I just want to encourage people to go to prayer first and uh, to remember that God loves them so much and He hears them and He wants to hear from them. And uh, He's still the same God that did the miracles when Jesus walked on the earth. And he can still do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. We, we don't always know people that, are, that we're praying for, and that's okay. God knows. That's how good God is. You know, he is. It's amazing. <laughs> the scriptures say that we have not because we ask not. And so we're happy to come together with other believers and pray and lift up the needs of the people in the congregation. And I think there's power in agreement. Uh, the reason we do it is because uh, we care about the people in our church, our uh, church family, and we believe that God hears when His children pray, and um, we believe that He answers. That is the high-octane fuel in this church. That is spiritual leadership in our little church. It's not a program. It's not a number of people. It's not some upfront person. That's where the power is. And I don't mean to be funny or disrespectful, but could I say, really and truly, little older Ladies, not going to put a roof on your house, right? Not going to pick up a car. But this church rises on the wings of their intercession and prayer. And every time any one of you ever says, 
Here's a need. There they are for the last several decades lifting you up in prayer and your spouse and your children and me and my family and the church and the ministry. And that is the face of leadership that nobody sees. And it is powerful. In fact, can I ask Alma and online and in church, could we just show appreciation and recognition to these women right now? What would this church look like for the last 32 years if that had not been taking place? What would this church look like had there not been an, an Aaron and a her to come alongside and to lift up hands in prayer? Well, in the scripture, there'd be no Israel. They would have been wiped out by the Amalekites. And I wonder where this church would be. One author writes this. I love this. He says, I remember when my dad surrendered his life to the Lord. For 10 years prior to that, during annual visits, we clashed intellectually about God. One day he came armed with an argument many use against God. And he said to me, if there really is a God, why doesn't he answer prayer? He was so secure in his position, and I was tired of the argument. I went to the bathroom, and I prayed. Lord, you've got to give me an answer. And when I returned, I could see that my dad felt he had won the round. I love my dad very, very much. So this is what I said. Dad, forget about all the people that you think didn't get answers to prayer. You yourself are an answer to prayer. In fact, you are alive today because our entire family prays daily for you. And then I continued, but let's experiment. You say God doesn't answer prayer. We say that he does. So for one week, we're not going to pray for you. Let's see what happens in your life. I can't remember seeing my dad turn so pale. He looked over at my mom. He said, hon, tell the boy not to do that. <laughs> then with beads of sweat forming on his forehead, he said to me, okay, what do I have to do to keep you praying for me? In three minutes, he went from believing, from not believing in prayer to begging us to keep praying for him. I said, Dad, the only way I will, keep you, I will keep praying for you is if you pray right now and give your life to Jesus Christ. The Lord answered my prayer. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't stop praying. Who knows what good would cease to flow from this place? Whatever you do, don't stop praying. Who knows the activity of God that may be absent in the family of God and absent in your life. Who knows what power would be lost if you stop praying? Who knows what would be lost in battles that are happening in your life? God prevailing, his prevailing power flows through people who pray far more so than people who have clever ideas or well-organized church, or really nice programs, or a lot of people in their church, or self-reliant, or I've got a lot of resources, or I know somebody who knows somebody, God's prevailing power in his unseen kingdom is released primarily through people who pray because they recognize in that moment, God, with all the things I can do or cannot do, here's what I see, I am utterly dependent on you right now in my life. Even in this struggle, even in this battle, I'm, I'm in need of you. So here's what I want to do. I want to get crazy practical right now. I want you to actually take out your phone if you would. I'm going to do two things. We're going to pray in just a moment, and then I'm going to build in just the last few minutes 
sort of a very pragmatic scaffolding of prayer for you to walk away with today. So here's why I ask you to get out your phone. On the corner here, we have a text number. Everyone in Alma, everyone in, uh, online, and, and everyone in Mount Pleasant, I want you to text this number with a prayer need that you have right now. You just put in the text number, and then you can just text the word CC, Community Church, Prayer Need. And you'll get a little link to your phone right away. Click on the link, and then you don't have to put in your name. You don't have to put in your email. You can ignore that if you want to, but just put in the prayer need. And in a few minutes, we're going to collect those, and we're going to pray for two or three of those prayer needs, okay? Any prayer needs that we can't pray for, we'll put them online. So everyone in Alma, everyone in Mount Pleasant, and even if you're online right now, text that number, and we're going to collect, and then we're going to come together as Moses and Aaron and her, and we're going to lift this up in prayer, and we're going to see what God does, okay? So right now, in the remaining minutes, I want to build a scaffolding of prayer for you over the next few minutes. So firstly, the first scaffolding of prayer is the word when. So you have your phone out. While you have it out, here's what I want you to do as well. I want you to go to your calendar in your phone, okay? Open up your calendar right now, and in your calendar, I want you to set up an appointment tomorrow for you and God. I want you to take, it might be five minutes, it might be 10 minutes, it might be first thing in the morning, it might be the very last thing you do before you go to sleep at night, it might be 10 minutes at your lunch hour in, your, in a break, but I want you to make an appointment for your when, and I want you to keep that appointment with God tomorrow in prayer. Secondly is the where. How can you position yourself and your prayers for the best vantage point? Where will you actually pray physically? Moses went up on a hill so he could see the battle. He didn't go up on the hill so he could fill God in on the details of the battle. Of the battle. God didn't need that. Moses put himself at a vantage point where he could literally stand up there and say, God, help that man right there. God, his legs are about to go from under him. Lord, I need your power to flow in this direction. Lord, I need you over here right now. And that's what he did. He looked out at the battle and he began to intercede and pray. It helped him to pray from where he was standing. You and I need to find a way of prayer that will help us to be intentional about interceding for people in our lives. Some of you... You do this by keeping a list, and that's great. Some people draw up a family tree. Have you ever done that? Just get a piece of paper and draw a family tree, and then you can look at it, and you can begin to intercede for your family members, people who need Christ, people who need encouragement. Some people, they pray for the government. They pray for the church. The ch uh, sometimes people even pray for me, and I'm so grateful for that. Sometimes people will put together a list of concerns of people that they know that they're praying for. And I know that doesn't sound super spiritual, but it's a practical way for you to position yourself well in prayer. Thirdly, I want to remind you of who you are praying to. This is what Moses says, I will stand on top of the hill with, a, with the staff of God in my hand. Now it's a stick. Do you know where he got that stick? At the burning bush. It's the same stick that turned into a snake and ate the magicians from Pharaoh's snakes alive. It's the same stick that he held in his hand through all of those plagues. Can you imagine what happens to Moses every time he puts his hand around that staff? What does he say to himself? I have experienced the power of God in my life. I know it. It was this stick in my hand. Now, for me personally, I am actually really, really not into uh, spiritual trinkets. I actually dislike them personally. Maybe you like them. I grew up 
going to the Catholic Church, and I'm not joking you, by the time I was 10, I had trinkets coming out of my ears. I, I, just, I had to wear what's called a Padre Pio medal on your chest and on your back for protection. I sang in a choir. I had to get Mary medals, the light blue one, the dark blue one, the red one with the ribbon. That was a really good one. My Mary medals. I had, my family would take trips to places like Lourdes, to go to these places, you'd especially pray they'd bring back these rocks and bits of paper and all kinds of stuff. And for me, because of that, I actually have an aversion to spiritual beads, and I just don't do that stuff. But there are certain things in my life that are very important to me. My dad passed away eight years ago. I don't know if you know this. I preach every week from my dad's Bible. It's, it's a Bible, and it's a bit tattered, and it's a little broken up, but I, this is very important to me. And you can understand why, right? And then sometimes I open it up, and you know what I find? I find these bits that he's underlined. And I go, oh, what was the Lord speaking to my dad? What would the Lord speak to me today? And there's nothing better than when I get up here and I'm like, oh, God spoke to my dad and he spoke to me. And now I'm going to tell you about what God spoke to me and my dad. My father's going to share that into your life. I mean, that's, that's kind of important. Sometimes you put pictures in your Bible or you keep pictures of your family members or loved one. And I, I like that. Sometimes I like just having those things in front of me, and what they do is they remind me who it is that I'm praying for. Does this make sense? Okay. Every time Moses looked at his staff, he was gripped and reminded of who he was praying to. He was reminded of God's power. Thank you so much. Last, uh, fourth practical tip. The next thing that Moses did in this, in this time of prayer is he involves other people. God has chosen that his power should flow not just through prayer, but that this prayer would be done in the context of community. So praise God for the family of God, amen? Praise God for a group of little old ladies who come together as Moses and Aaron and her, and there's power that comes from that. Moses takes a few brothers with him. Aaron was his physical brother. He was the chief priest of Israel. Her his son would be Caleb. Caleb and Joshua would go to the promised land as spies and say, we can do this. That's the kind of company he's keeping. For hundreds and hundreds of years, believers have found power in praying in community. Jesus simply says this, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there amongst them which leads us to prayer right now. So, what I've done is, here's some of the texts right here. And we're going to pray for them. So let me read these to you. We, there are so, probably so many coming in, we're, we're not going to pray for everyone. And what we'll do is, if we can pray for yours, if, particularly if they're anonymous, we'll put them on social media. And church, would you check it out during the week? And would you pray for those that we didn't get to pray for? Here's what it is. These are anonymous. I want to pray for my sister to come to know the Lord. Amen? We want this woman to come to know the Lord? Yeah? You guys, you ready to pray? We're going to pray in just a minute here. The second one here. I need a car. I need money for tuition for school this year. If that's you, is that a pretty real thing? Yeah. Last one here. For three sons who are estranged from their parents and for healing to take place in that family. Church, can we stand together? And if you're comfortable, and if you're able, like Moses, I want you to just lift your hands up high. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ. 
and in the context of community, as brothers and sisters, as a Moses and an Aaron and a her, we pray on behalf of our brothers and sisters. Lord, this young lady, this sister, in the name of Jesus, we ask you for conviction of sins, that she would see the cross of Jesus Christ, that she would fall to her knees, and she would discover your desperate love for her, and she would hand over the reins of her life, and she would be adopted into the family of Christ. Father, we pray for this young man or this young woman. Looks like they need help with a car, and they need to go to school, and they need some finances. Father, we pray manna from heaven every morning that you would give this individual daily bread, that you would meet their needs in such a fashion that they would say, that was God, and that was God loving me personally. Lord, we pray for this broken family, children who are estranged from their parents. Lord, would you bring the heart of the children to the father? And the mother, would you bring the heart of the mother and the father to these children? Father, I pray for humility where there is pride. I pray that they would fall on the rock and be broken, lest it falls on them and grinds them to powder. I pray in the name of Jesus that there would be restoration and healing, that there would be loving words spoken. I pray for a release of forgiveness, for the undoing of bitterness and, uh, and that sense of I'm entitled to simply feel offended. I pray in the name of Jesus that would be broken and there would be release and there would be breakthrough in that family. Father, we commit these needs to you. And all of God's people said, amen. Praise God. Grab your seats for just a moment. So here's the question on this church. Again, do you have two people in your life that you could say, any chance you could hold up my hands? Do you have an Aaron or a her that would lift you up in prayer? Do you have a relationship with someone that even in a sort of a deliberate way, not a, oh, I could probably give them a buzz, but in a de deliberate way that you could say to them, look, is there any chance you could lift my life up into prayer? And, and I would like to do that for you as well. Can I say this to you? And I mean this with a shepherd's heart, even though it might seem strong. If you don't, and you're like, I don't know who I would ask, or I would feel uncomfortable, can I just say to you, you've probably isolated yourself spiritually. And I want to plead with you to connect, to find individuals in your life, even in the context of this church. Selfishly, incredibly selfish, I'm just going to come right out and say it. Would you pray for me? I was hoping for a slightly better response to that question. <laughs> church, would you pray for me? Yes. I'm, I'm like, without apology. Alma, who's going to pray for Pastor Aaron? Alma, who's going to lift up his family? Who's going to pray for his children? Who's going to cover that man in prayer? I, I'm just going to ask you right now, would you pray for my wife, pray for my children, pray for my life before God as I serve him? Every single group in this church. And I, sometimes in the summer, the groups take a mini break and they get back together in the fall. I'm going to ask every single group, whether you're meeting or not, I want you to contact each other this week and call each other up and say, I want you to know something. I'm committing to pray for you. I'm going to be there. I will pray. And if you ever need me to pray about something specific, I'm a phone call away. I'm an email away. I'm a knock on the door away. You have that permission. If you do not know two people in your life that you could call up, 
Here's what I want you to do. If you're online right now, I want you to just type in the word group. If you're in Alma, I want you to go to info after the service. Mount Pleasant, go to info after the service. And you're like, I don't have that. And I want you to go to info and just say, could you connect me into a group? In a few weeks from now, we're going to launch the groups for the fall. And what we'll do is we'll take your information, and then we will be in touch with you. We'd love to get you connected into a little bit of a mini part of the body of Christ, where people will know you and love you and serve you and pray for you. And you could do that for other people too. Last practical tip. Moses built an altar. It's pretty easy. You just need a few rocks. You put them on top of each other, and you mark the occasion. Moses declared, in this place where we were attacked, the Lord is my banner. And he built this altar right there. This is my rally cry. I will wave it from the rooftops. My ultimate allegiance is to God. Honestly, it's just a pile of rocks. But every time he looked at them, he remembered how God showed up when they were attacked. How God listened when he prayed. How God's friends came alongside to help him hold up hands. How many of you can look back at an occasion in your life and you have no other explanation except that you can say, that was God? Anyone know that in their life? David, in the Old Testament, there's the famous story of when he meets Goliath. And it's interesting, so interesting what he says. As he's walking up to this guy, he says, I've taken care of a lion. I've taken care of a bear. God, we got this guy. What was he doing? He was looking back at those altars in his life where he knew that God had shown up. He said, God, you and I, we took care of a lion together. You and I, we took care of a bear together. I think because of that, I can face this. And sometimes we have to build altars to mark those occasions so that we never forget, so that when the battle comes your way, you can reach back, you can look over your shoulder and genuinely declare with faith, God has shown me his goodness and his power before. I can face the day again because he is by my side. You don't need a pile of rocks. Maybe it's a journal. Maybe you write it on your phone. Maybe it's a good old-fashioned pen and paper. Whatever works for you. The Lord is my banner. I will wave what he has done from the rooftops. That will be my rally cry because he is faithful to me. Final scripture, Ephesians chapter 1. I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I'd think of you and just give thanks. But I do more than thank. I ask Ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the glory of God, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what he's calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life that he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. It is endless energy. It is boundless strength. I want you to walk away with this truth that if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, a power accompanies your life that is greater than great. Boundless energy. Endless energy, boundless strength. In another version, it says this, it is the surpassing greatness of his power. Not your power. Not human power. 
It is actually the strength of his might. So I'm going to close a little bit differently right now. I'm going to ask us to maybe take 30 seconds in prayer. And I want you to just sit there quietly and I want you to think, what is the greatest need that I need to be praying for right now? Again, if you're comfortable, maybe you just want to lift up your hands. And then in about 30 seconds, I'll close us in prayers. So if you would right now, just close your eyes, maybe raise your hands and let's come before the Father. Jesus, thank you for listening to our prayers. Thank you for this house of prayer. And all God's people said, amen. Don't forget your appointment with Jesus tomorrow. God bless. Have a good week.